Hey, Coffee is Me listeners, welcome in another episode of Coffee is Me podcast where we interview successful startups so we can learn ourselves to make our businesses better. Today, I have two gentlemen from Mountain Coffee from Cincinnati, Ohio, Austin and Colin. Hey, guys, welcome. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you for revealing your secrets. We did a kind of a small pre-call about the episode, about this podcast, and I'm super excited that you guys revealed a lot of awesome information. So I think the listeners will have a lot of fun, a lot of value from this podcast. So before we dive in, I have this warm-up question. I usually ask, do you remember your first sip of coffee and how was it? Colin, you go first. I do remember my first sip of coffee. That's also, it is my earliest memory with coffee. I was like three or four years old and we were at a Dunkin' Donuts with my mom and she handed me her cup of black coffee that was piping hot and I went to take a sip and instead of sipping it, I just squeezed the cup as hard as I could and got coffee everywhere. Got it all over her and she was screaming, yelling, throwing a fit. And that was the, the earliest memory I have of coffee. And just growing up, I would just take sips of coffee here and there for my mom with French vanilla creamer in it. And it was always like Folgers or Dunkin' stuff like that. But yeah, pretty much first coffee memory, just drilling it. And that's why you're working (laughs) now in a coffee industry that you remedy your soul. Yes, the controlled combustion. Austin? So about espresso made and we would have it growing up all the time after meals, before meals, and it was just so delicious. And after that, I guess my first cup that really got my attention and really engaged me with coffee was I was about 16 years old in San Francisco, and I was visiting my brother at the time, and he lived in the Sunset District of San Francisco, and it was like this thing in the morning to go get coffee. We already had it at home all the time in Cincinnati with the family, but it was like a real thing, right? Every morning, get coffee and then start the day. So we went to this place called Trouble Coffee Company. It was on Judah Street, I believe, in San Francisco, owned by a lady named Julieta. And so we went there to get coffee and toast. And I'll never forget it. It was just like one of the most romantic times with coffee for me. And the place wasn't busy at the time. I guess a lot of people didn't know about it. It was very quiet in the sunset, but I remember having a Gibraltar and a piece of toast at Trouble Coffee Company. And from there on, my life has changed. Oh, so partially your Italian roots, partially San Francisco is the culprit. Colin, you are the director of coffee for Mamelands, <laughs> and you, Austin, you are a co-founder. Yeah, yeah, my brother. Yeah, I, I love the story because when Colin was here at Boot Coffee, we talked about you guys, we gossiped you, good and bad, and only good, don't worry. I just love your story that you guys had some businesses here in, in San Francisco, and then one day you packed up and went to Cincinnati, and I want you to tell this story. How, how did this happen? We're from Cincinnati originally, my brother and I, and we grew up in the restaurant business. My dad's worked in restaurants his entire life. And obviously, as I said before, my parents from Southern Italy, so we grew up around food. Whenever we're together as a family, it's always around food, as most families usually are. So my brother at a young age decided that he wanted to be
become a chef one day, went to school for it, traveled the world a little bit, went to Italy, did Thailand. And when he came back home to Cincinnati, it was like after college, what was the next move for him? It was San Francisco. So when I graduated high school, I went out there as well to follow him. I lived this dream just to see something else and be somewhere else, get out of Cincinnati and explore. Because I think the best education that you're going to receive is probably from travel. Because you can read all the books in the world, but it doesn't mean you've tasted it, seen it, touched it. So we both went out there and we just explored, man. We had so much food, there's so much coffee, so much culture, so much to, to, that surrounds you in, in the Bay Area. And as, as much as people might have an opinion on that area, it's amazing. It's an amazing place. So while we were there, my brother always wanted to open a restaurant of his own one day. So he did five years after his, himself moving there. And it was called Hillside Supper Club. And at the time, I was working at Chez Panisse Restaurant in Berkeley, which I worked at for about five years, which I didn't really know at the time when I was 18. It was an institution. Yep. And I was like honored to work there. It was, it's to this day, one of my favorite places I've ever worked. And as I was leaving Shea, I was becoming the general manager and beverage director for my brother's restaurant, Hillside Supper Club. And I went there full time. And during that time, and between all of this time in general, just living there, I was so into coffee, learning it, drinking it, working, trying to stage as, as many places as I could, taking trainings. I'll never forget using Blue Bottle Coffee at Chez Panisse and like going there to meet the managers and the roasters and to go to the training lab in West Oakland. And it was amazing. And from there, as we worked at Hillside Temper Club, an opportunity came available to have a little cafe. And we took the opportunity and then we opened up a coffee shop called Provender. It was on 18th Street in San Francisco, down the street from Plow. And we had those businesses for quite a long time in San Francisco terms. The coffee shop was five years and the restaurant was eight years. But during that time when we were there, you know, we we're constantly building, talking, growing as people, as entrepreneurs. And we just, I think we've always wanted to be back in Cincinnati at some point. We always wanted to be a part of the culture and the community here and the growth here and our families here. And we didn't know at what capacity, like what it was. Like, is it a coffee shop? Is it a restaurant? What do we do? So at around like 2014, 2015, we started working on a business plan for what we know today as mom and M. And we just wrote down ideas of what we would love to see. And we didn't have a name for it. That stuff comes later down the road, I feel like, personally. It's more about your concept, your energy. What, what, what is it that you want to create? What is it that you want to craft for the community? So we just would write things down and then one day, like, cost things out. How much is it going to cost? What's it look like? Where's the money going to come from? Which was probably one of the toughest parts was finding money. So... Yeah, throughout these years, 2016, 2017, 2018, we continued building, building. And we eventually came to this idea that we're going to name it Mom and M Coffee. We're going to have it in an Airstream trailer on a piece of property that my brother owns in Camp Washington of Cincinnati, Ohio. And this property was where he was going to live, actually. The house set up where him today was supposed to be his house. And we... Worked day and night with architects locally in Cincinnati and designers in Cincinnati and in San Francisco to all work together 
to build this concept, to figure out a budget and to get it approved by the city. And it was so difficult to just get the approval for the project. It was just, they wouldn't, they didn't understand it. They just didn't understand the concept of like why somebody would want to open up a coffee shop inside of an Airstream trailer. It got so silly to one point where they wanted us to have the actual main component structure of the building for the Airstream trailer be the restrooms that would be on the outside of the Airstream trailer. It was a silly. So we finally got it approved after all this time, back and forth, flights and stuff. And the bu- the numbers came in and it was just not feasible at all. Like you sell this cup of coffee for three, four or five bucks, whatever it is. So we're just not going to pay this project off. And not only that, we're not going to make a living. We're not going to make any money off of it, right? No matter what you do, what business you're in, you deserve to make money because you have to live too, right? I just told Tony, my brother, I said, I don't think it's smart. We shouldn't do it. I don't feel good about it. And he came back the next day. I was working at the coffee shop in San Francisco. He said, what if we did it inside of the house on the property? And I, at that moment, I was like, I think this guy is going nuts. I think the restaurant business has gotten to him <laughs> a lot. So it was a funny time. It's always emotional to think back on that time of life. That we know we did. We drew up a plan. We moved everything into the, inside the house. We got zoning for it. We figured out what it would cost, what it would take. And then the second hurdle was finding money for our project. But, and, and it just took forever. Like what, how we wanted to navigate that, whether you wanted to use an investor or an angel investor, bank, family, but unfortunately our family doesn't have any money to loan. So we just, it, it just took forever. And finally we, we landed a small business loan with Huntington Bank. Nice. I'm super lucky. Yeah. After all the people we've asked and stuff, yeah, we opened 2019 on Mother's Day. And we've moved back in 2019 in February. What is that, three or four months? And when we got back, construction was like a mess. This place was a wreck. It was not ready at all. And we had a machine sitting for a year and a half. And, and we were just ready to, we were eager to get open. It just, none of this is easy. It's all time. It all, everything just takes time and money is what I've learned thus far. And, but we opened and we opened with a bang. I think a lot of people in Cincinnati wanted to see the project come to life. I think they were, they were really invested in it. They were really just ready. They're just eager because they kept hearing the news and following our Instagram. And they were like, wow, the Ferrari brothers are going to come back to town and open something like, wow, we can't wait. And I think what makes it even more meaningful and social is that we're from here. We grew up here. Our family's from here. Everyone knows us and we know them. And you're also coming back to a, a small town in a way. Like the, you're, you're not in this big city like San Francisco or New York where you're just another fish inside with a pond. But we can actually be something here and be a, a big part of this community. Colin, how did you join that team? Were you in San Francisco or you already been in Cincinnati? I was originally in Toledo, Ohio, which is just it's on like the northern edge of Ohio, probably like an hour south of Detroit. I grew up there. I uh, worked in coffee there for five or six years. And before that, I went to school in Cincinnati for one semester. Didn't work out student aid wise, just got screwed over by the university. So while I was in Cincinnati, I, I fell in love with the city. And just that it was so different than Toledo, even there 200 miles apart. Fell in love with the city and just made it a goal when I moved back home to Toledo to pay off my student loan debt, that someday I was going to move back to Cincinnati and just start my life there. Just 
build my professional career out there. And at the time I was super into architecture and really wanted to go to school in architecture, but quickly fell in love with coffee far deeper than architecture. Now it's just a passion just to look at buildings and study buildings and stuff for me. So yeah, I worked at a shop for five years there and then convinced my now wife to uproot our whole lives in Toledo and leave our families and move down to Cincinnati. We moved down with a job that I had already lined up, but we moved down March 7th of 2020. So two or three days before the entire country shut down from COVID. So needless to say, that job fell through pretty quickly the moment we got down there and already signed our lease and lived down there. So we get to know our apartment really well, unemployed for a little bit. And then I had a job managing a property for a year and a half and I absolutely hated it. Coming from coffee where you're taking people's money to provide a good that brings them joy. I was taking their money and providing a service that in the end brought them sadness because they were just storing their belongings there. We would just auction stuff off if they didn't pay. And during a nationwide pandemic, when everyone is short on money, it was really rough. It ripped me apart. So after after a year and change of that, I had met with Tony previously in the past just to talk about the businesses and learn about Mom and, and Fausto, their restaurant. I texted Tony in the drive-through of a bank one day, and I was like dropping off the deposit for the for my old job. And I was like, Tony, I need to get back into coffee. I hate my life here right now. <laughs> so that was June 2021, and Tony was like, Yeah, come in. We'll have you meet Austin, and we'll link up again and see where we can fit you in the business. And then, yeah. From there, they hired me on and I was just working as a barista and then just slowly working my way up through the business. I totally feel you, Colin. I, I used to work for United Nations mm-hmm. in Kosovo and Bosnia-Herzegovina. And my last job in Bosnia was very similar. So basically, the United Nations wanted to move people back as they were before the war, before the ethnic cleansing mm-hmm. and stuff. And I had to search on people whether they repossessed property somewhere else. And if they did, they had to be evicted. It was awful. I basically gave up. I was like, I'm a human rights officer, not a evictor. So it was super depressing. I would be still doing the job if I would not have this part of the, the job. I'm probably working in some human rights, mm-hmm. whatever. But I was like, nope, thank you. So I feel you. And I think the coffee is better. Even for me, I like coffee. Going from serving like that service where people hated me and just like not having any growth in there for me personally was just, it was like the worst thing. Cause like I was already at the point where I could go and that was the highest position I could be in at that property management role. And to come back into coffee and continue to continue education, continue learning and actually like serving people and like having fun again at work just was the biggest change of like happiness in life for me. Just to be back in coffee where it's my passion and I feel like it's my calling to like Actually, serve coffee, brew coffee, roast coffee, and everything. It was just complete quality of life swap. I often get calls of people like, hey, I'm thinking to get in the coffee industry. Do you guys recommend this switch? I'm an XYZ in my profession. And I'm like, I don't know. Coffee will not make you super rich. It's not like you're becoming an investment banker or influencer of in, in a field of finances or whatever. But... Mm-hmm. It makes you a happy life, can make you good living, mm-hmm. I think. It provided me and my family, and it's just have to know if if you go with that notion to that and coffee makes you happy, I think it's a great profession to, you know, great industry mm-hmm. to be in. So not how should a lot of people get yeah. rich in it? That's cool. But it's not the same as being in finances, right? Or IT. You gotta sell a lot of co- Exactly. <laughs> Austin, 
I want to go back to your statement about the Airstream. Many people dream to start their coffee carts, coffee trailers as a first step to get into the coffee industry. And you said, oh, it's not sustainable. We just don't think we could make enough money. You would not recommend people to start there? I guess it depends on what you're doing, right? I think if this thing is mobile and you're in a city that is aggressive with events and maybe like street food fairs or whatever is going on, I would recommend it. I don't think there's a down play to it, but to be honest with you, I think our budget came back to do that airstream and it was around $850,000. Whoa. I just didn't find... I didn't find it feasible. Yeah. We had, we had to like literally build electric into the ground. We had to structure this thing into the ground. It needed to be. It couldn't sit on the wheels like it should have been. It was a very weird uh, thing. And I think that part of that is part of the city too, right? I think we're in Cincinnati and not to bash the city, but I think Mark Twain said it's like a little 10 years behind or something like that. Like the, the city is just a touch behind current cities like like Chicago or New York. And it's catching up, don't get me wrong, but what I mean is that when we were going through the zoning the structure for this project, they just didn't understand what it was. Pe- people frowned upon it. They were like, this is crazy. This is weird. And now today, it's so funny, in the same city today, there's plenty of them. There's, there's coffee trucks that go around. And there's an Airstream trailer that serves cocktails. That's, this is what we were trying to do, guys. It's just coffee. But I think it would be something we would maybe do one day as like a fifth location or a third location or whatever it might be. But I think to start off for us, I just, I didn't see the vision. And I think after doing businesses in San Francisco and seeing what it takes and seeing the numbers go in and the numbers go out, I just didn't, I didn't want that kind of life. I want to make sure we can build. I want to make sure that we can like take care of people and grow with the staff and be able to create this family, if you will, be able to employ people or be able to afford it. And I just felt like having the Airstream would have been tough for here, for and for our climate too. In the wintertime, it's so cold. How many people are going to come in on a day, on one day? That's what we would do. We would sit down and go through a Monday through Sunday and say to ourselves, how much are we going to make every day? And we would navigate if we had sold X amount of pastries, X amount of cappuccinos and drip coffee. And I think at one point, with mom and them, with the Airstream idea, we were like, okay, on a Monday, we're expecting to make $200, maybe 175 And you add up each day with Saturday, Sunday, and then the month. And it's, man, this just doesn't seem feasible. Yeah. Not with that, not that, not that with that investment. That's like crazy. You can build a beautiful cafe for 800K. That's insane. So you touched on this a little bit, but I'm really curious. You moved from San Francisco again one of the food capitals with a very innovative concept to Cincinnati, Ohio. And you said it's a little bit behind, which I don't think it's really true anymore anywhere because of the social media and everything. So you get everything, all the information about food and trends catches up much faster than it used to be. But still, I'm going to ask this question. Like, was your concept of mom and M's foreign for people in Cincinnati? Yeah, I think so. I think to start with, we opened up with wine and we opened up with tin fishes and a lot of people didn't really understand it. They're like, what is it? What's a tin of fish? Not, I love the Midwest, but 
some of these people don't know. They're just like, oh, you mean Star Kiss Tuna? Like, this isn't it. Like, you haven't experienced the real McCoy, like the real good stuff, whether it's anchovy or octopus or sardine. And what it's for, when, what time of day you eat it, what do you eat it with, and how do you, how can you experience this to really just blow your mind? And yeah, it was pretty foreign. The whole concept, the whole idea of, of what, what we were, like being dedicated to our mother and having our mom work with us and all working as a family. I think a lot of it was foreign for sure, but I think people like it. I think that's the beauty inside of doing a, your business, whatever it might be, is like give some, give people something different that they don't already have on a daily basis. Like, why would I just go open up another coffee shop when there's one down the street? What makes you so different? How do you stick out? If everyone's just wearing white Air Force Ones on Mission Street, the person with that wears the all pink pair are going to stick out. And people are going to want to go visit that person and say, man, I like your sneakers. They're pretty cool, right? So how can we stick out? And I like that we were foreign. I love it. I still love it today. I hope we can be, become more foreign every day because people love that. They love the food that we offer. They love the hospitality that we offer is different than any other cafe. Sometimes you go into these shops and these people are angry. They don't even say hi. What's your problem? I know you, you might have some issues at home or whatever, but try to leave that at the door. And that's another thing that we touch base up, touch base on here at Mom and M is really good hospitality, right? That's going to leave you with a memorable experience to bring you back. So tell me, what's Mom and M? What do you guys offer? And what did you guys offer and changed? We've morphed a little bit and things have changed like a tad bit, but it's the same since we opened in 2019. We, we have a full espresso bar. We offer drip coffee. We don't do any pour overs. Again, one day that could change and we might be able to offer pour overs one day, especially now that we roast the house. I think it could be a great addition. We have a little breakfast menu. We do toast. So we do almond butter, banana toast. We make almond butter in house. We have an avocado toast. We do an egg sandwich. And it's very simple. It's not a huge menu. I think it's six items. We've added a few things over the years just that are different or whatever. And then we tried giving the whole house-made pastry thing a try. And I think we spoke on it yesterday where your friend was like, oh, we should really do this because I'm selling X amount of pastries per day and my profit could be this much more if I make them in-house. So it's been a dream for us all to do that, especially laminated doughs, which are very difficult. And in San Francisco, we actually made our pastries in house, but they were a little more cake-like and nothing was like extravagant. It was just very simple, like a brownie or something or cooking, which is delicious. People love that. So we tried it here and it's a little difficult, especially for us as like my speaking for myself, like as an owner, as a partner that I don't work in pastry at all. So when someone asks me a question that involves it, I'm a little like, I don't know. I could cook. I can tell you a little bit, but I don't really make pastries. I I couldn't tell you what happens to a croissant if you leave it in the oven too long or not long enough. I, I don't I don't know that world. But I think it's something where we'd like to, to revisit one day uh, again. And then we've, we, we've changed a lot since Colin joined. We roast coffee now in-house. So in 2019, we didn't roast. It wasn't really on our agenda to roast. We didn't really think about it. I don't know if it was a thing that we wanted to do at the time. But through the years and really through COVID, we've changed a lot in that, that kind of way of just thinking about things differently, packaging things differently. And it's been proven that it works. 
at least with our business model, that people want these things, which made us morph into what we are today. You know, and we went from one cafe, now we have two. So I think we've definitely broadened our network and horizon within the community a lot. <laughs> so to the person you're referring is Samir Shah, and we have an episode for people who want to check it out. Samir is a co-founder of Voyager Craft Coffee, and they have their own pastry program, but as he says in a podcast, and also he does course at Boot Coffee, how to start a coffee shop, <laughs> he says that they could only start the pastry program and they had four or five locations, otherwise it just doesn't make any sense, right? But after that, when you can sell volume, then it makes a lot of sense because I know a little bit about baking. I'm, I, I, see, I don't do laminated dough, but I bake a lot of other stuff, sourdough stuff and pizza, that has the oven. And making croissant costs nothing when it comes to materials. When it comes to skills, it's a skill. It, it's, it's not easy. But to get there, you have to have volume. So I think that your, your decision was smart. You guys mentioned that you started to roast. Colin, what was the decision process? Why did you guys decide to roast and not use the coffee you, you used before? For me personally, like from my point of view, my aspect of it, I've been in coffee for about a decade now. And pretty much since day one, it's always intrigued me, like the science and chemistry behind roasting coffee. It's just the whole concept of bringing like this raw agricultural products through so many downland farmers and so many different like very responsible positions to like keep the quality up to roasting and then showcasing the coffee at a cafe. For me, it was just like that second chain down the line from I'm brewing it. And now I want to learn how to roast it to then brew it. So that was like my passion just to learn how to roast it and figure that out. And prior to starting roasting and like actually having us take the leap, leap into roasting, I would just read books, read blog posts and watch videos about roasting coffee and just like fantasizing about it, trying to like make it make sense in my mind to make it happen. So that was like the precursor to us roasting. And then when Tony and Austin interviewed me in June, 2021, the third question I asked was, do we want to start roasting or do you plan on starting to roast your own coffee? Or is this even an idea in your head? And at the time they were like, yeah, we're very happy with our, with our current coffee roaster. They provide really good stuff and we have a great relationship with them. But then just as like time went on, we just, the cafes started consuming more and more coffee. And then we opened the second cafe and then it almost doubled or tripled the amount of coffee that we were selling. I just started poking at him like, Hey guys, we should consider, we should look into the numbers, see how long it would take to pay off a roaster that costs as much as a Tesla. And then Eventually, this the numbers made sense with how much coffee we were consuming. So then we just took the leap. We bought the, the little Ikawa sample roaster. It's just like the first step. And I just went down the rabbit hole from there. <laughs> Colin, I have to smack you a little bit because I hate when people refer to roaster prices to cars. I had a student who did the same. <laughs> he said, it costs as my truck. Yeah. I was like, how much money makes your truck per month for you? How many people you can employ because you have a yeah. truck or a Tesla? Zero. I guess in, in this instance, yeah, it, it makes sense to say it was just 40 ballot or whatever. But like when I'm explaining it to like guests and everything, they don't have the whole like outlook on like our point of view for it. So I'm like, I'm going to compare it to something that you use every day, a car. Yeah. Okay. I'll forgive you for 30 seconds. Yeah. But in this sense, very expensive. If you get lowering, it goes to 100,000. So, you know, 40K is not such a big investment, theoretically. Making the money for you after that. Yeah, exactly. And for if you take care of it for a very long time. So what did you guys buy? 
So we got Probot P12 Mark III. So it's just like what the newest version of the P12 that they have. Just buck standard. It's got like the big screen on it. So I can view all like the curves and the graphs and stuff, track inventory and stuff on there. It's been really nice. I have no prior experience other than the Geesons that you guys have in boot. And then for that, we were using Artisan. So it, it feels like it translated pretty well just because it's a similar software baked into the, the machine. But yeah. I'm curious, why did you guys decide it for Probat? For me, I did a good research on the actual brands and for the price or for what we were looking for, the ease of use, and then just the, one of the closer options that wasn't, I don't know, like a Chinese made machine or something was Probat because they, they've had quarter in Chicago, which from Cincinnati is like three and a half, four hour drive if there's no traffic. So if we really needed something, we could just make a day trip, go out there, pick something up and come back. And then on top of that, they, they do have a good training thing that they provide for you when you actually then order a probat. And then they revamp their whole like technical support, which that that's a whole different thing. Cause I know a lot of roaster roasting, like manufacturers are dicey about technical support and like warranties and stuff. But anytime I've had a question, I'll email them and they usually get back to me pretty quick about it. Whether it's troubleshooting or trying to convince them to send someone out here from their like floating team of techs that kind of like just go everywhere. So I didn't just the name. Did you decide about the probat before the course or after the course? I think we had decided before the course. August, we got the Ikawa and then from like September-ish, we were like shopping around getting pricing quotes from companies. And for the quantity, like for 12 kilo, the probat made the most sense for us. And just because it had the screen and we could also talk to Cropster Artisan control it through Cropster or Artisan as well. Cause I know Lori has a couple issues with actually operating the roaster. You have to use their screen, but you can still oh, view the graphs see. and everything through Cropster. Yeah. It doesn't have a full integration. So just the compatibility on top of that. And it's just, I don't know, it's our first roaster and all I've known from a lot of the roasters that I really value from my perspective as like a coffee consumer, but also as like a, a coffee professional, they all had roasted on ProMats. So in some sense, the name as well, but I know like you can get good quality coffee off any roaster, essentially, as long as you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Don't worry. I'm not grilling you because of the geesons. I'm a probat boy. I have, I have, my, I have a lot of probats and <laughs> yeah, uh, the, did you have like the UG 22 or something or the, the big boy? The big boy was uh, sold as I sold my company because I did oh, not okay. know where to put it. And it's, it's like, what will I do with it? Her name was Olivia and she should. It's the size of a shed. Yeah, she would go and work, right? Huge. <laughs> so she's from the 60s, yeah. and now she's in United Kingdom, making people happy. Mm-hmm. And, but I still have the Probat That's LG3, which is a three kilo a roaster from 1938. I love how you guys went through that process. So first, research mm-hmm. the price, looking for something reliable, and finding something which has a good support. That's very important. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, yeah, it's not like a car that you have four dealership everywhere, right? It's, it's a technology which, if breaks, maybe your next option is in Europe or China or wherever they make them. And that's hard. So that's other reason why, personally, I loved so much used old roasters because they're so simple to fix. I would never touch lowering. If something breaks down, I'm like, gosh, high tech, no. <laughs> Luckily for me, they are in Santa Rosa. It's very easy. And I don't know anything about the support because I never owned one. I roasted a lot on them, but I never owned one. But with my old probats, wrench, fix, one, two, three, done. 
a bigger little little toolkit. Yeah, and the bigger things, I always found some technician because they are old, right? So there was always a lot of people who know uh, their souls and they can heal them if necessary. Yeah, perfect. I have to ask this question because mm-hmm. I have to ask this question. Where did you learn to roast? <laughs> Previous to boot, it was all self-taught. And then I, I gained a lot of the skills for actually like understanding numbers and operating the business and just using the main roasting features through through Booth Coffee, through the, it was like the roasting business class course. It was like roaster basics and then how to operate a roasting business essentially. And then from there on out, I've just been continuing to read books, take notes, looking at my own stuff and just hypothesizing, just doing the scientific method, just testing one variable at a time and just seeing how it affects the coffee and just forming my own opinions from there. Love it. Love it. I think that every roaster should have their own opinions. That's why I'm so happy that you actually came to the course and we had a chance to meet each other because you you think about this correctly. I, I acquire knowledge and I process it and I create something mm-hmm. with it. I have so many people who on end of the courses, okay, can I get the profiles? I'm like, oh, no, you can I did promise you, but don't you want to think a little bit about that? Like about how you're going to roast, what are you, who are your customers, what would be your style? And some people just, and that's when I see that, I don't know, maybe they're not ideal for roasting, but I don't want to judge because honestly, I've seen people who are not such a good roasters, but they're great salespeople and they have Mm -hmm. amazing coffee brands. And later they find somebody like you and do good, but yeah. So. You did so much research. How did this course compare? I was your trainer, spoiler alert. And how did I do it? Where was I strong? And where do you think you would like me to add more value to the future students? So from the course, I feel like it, it did give me a good like base set of knowledge for what I would come to expect. Not going from just like fantasizing about coffee roasting, much like most people do in jobs. We'll have People apply, we had the pastry program to apply to be a pastry chef, but they didn't think, oh, I don't think I want to come into work at 3 or 4 a.m. and churn on the proofers and start prepping out dough and stuff. So, um, Or like with coffee and like the barista world, people will fantasize and say, oh, I'm sure being a barista is so nice and fun. It's really great. I just make coffee all day. And But in reality, most of it's cleaning and just like understanding the coffee and the science behind it to dial in the coffee to then produce a good product to give to your guests. And I feel like the boot class really, it set the tone really well for what a day in the life of being like a a production roaster and like business owner for roasting has to entail. Like it's not just sample roasting and tasting the crazy coffees that you'll cup. It's also just taking that product you're tasting and then expanding on it, continue to ask questions and just bring a product to the table that is worthwhile, that's quality, and that actually has some love behind it. We took a class in Chicago that felt a little rushed. It was like a three or four day course with ProBat to like, we did learn how to operate the roasters, which was the main thing that like I wanted to go in there for, but he didn't really explain a lot about any like base numbers and stuff that you try to hit or like, like for me personally coming on to roasting coffee from not knowing a lot, I felt that the industry was keeping a little bit, much like the coffee world was in the past. Like no one really, from what I looked, could would tell you like, oh, this is typically the range which first crack hits, or this is the the normal moisture content of a coffee, or 
this bean is more dense. How should you roast it a little differently? We did. I adapt from there. Oh yeah, for oh, yeah. class, yeah. All right. Yeah, so a lot more like the smaller details, but it. I feel like you could have a roasting class that lasted four months and we still wouldn't touch base on everything. So I'd say for the one week class, it was spectacular. Oh, thank you. And I have last. It's, yeah, me, me, me too, always. That's my favorite thing to deliver. <laughs> and you're very diplomatic and very nice, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did not expect anything else. <laughs> Yeah. Austin, back to you a little bit. You said you have two cafes and I know each, I got fascinated about that. You guys actually bought your real estate. You own it, which is rare in a, in business. Anytime I read blog posts about this, they all recommend, no, you should never buy your estate, you should rent. And I went also down the rabbit hole of buying our real estate, but I want to hear your perspective. Like first, I, I really want to hear price again, how much you bought your first cafe for because that's insane but also like why did you decided to go that route i think we decided to, to buy the real estate for several reasons but the biggest reason i think is because you have control of what goes on within those walls and those boundaries but you get to own it you get to decide what you do to it you have control of how long your lease is like some people are signing a five-year ten-year lease and finding that they'll invest $2 million into this restaurant. And at 10 years, you might be done. Is it worth it? Are you really going to make that much money to pay that back? I think just going through the motions of having places in San Francisco and renting and seeing the pain that we had to endure with every landlord is different and they're all going to offer you something different. And some care about you and some just don't. So I think that was the biggest thing. It was like, why wouldn't we want to own it? And if this thing didn't work out, it's at least you're still on the property. You could always rent it out or you could just sell it. And why not do it if you can? But if you can buy it, you just should. That way you're going to last a, last a lifetime. And I think for us at Mom and Am is that we're looking at things for years on out, right? I'm not doing something for next week or next month or next year. I'm, I want to make sure it's going to last a lifetime. I want this to be here forever. It should. That should be the goal. And it also just helps financially. Everyone has a different feeling about it. Some people love to rent and they feel more comfortable and they can sleep at night by renting and knowing that someone else can deal with this other big thing or installing the glass in the front window. I don't have to do that. The HVAC went down. That's not part of my lease or it is or whatever, however that's written in. But I think financially you could probably save some money because sometimes these rents and leases are just crazy and when it's like really you could just buy it you probably cut the price in half you know by paying you know a commercial mortgage or whatever how much did you pay for your first cafe i think this property here was like uh, 16 17,000 yeah. but you got to think too there was was a different time it was, it was years ago now and this place needed a lot of love a lot of love this building that we're in today it it was like pretty run down but I say the way it was, the way it looked, if you put it in the Bay Area, depending on the location, I could have been over a million dollars for it. Mm -hmm. And it would have been considered a teardown. Yeah. We did the same with Green Plantation, but as uh, listeners know, I did sell the brand last year, but I kept the real estate. My thinking was if I pay rent for a place like we, we actually purchased, I would pay like 800, 900 euros a month. That would be the, the rent. And then we did a calculation that if we buy a property of similar size, we can get a 10-year loan from the bank 
at that time, the interest rates were like 1%, 1.5%. So that was really sweet. And we're going to pay 1,200 euros a month. But in 10 years, the real estate will be ours. So for me, that was like, I will pay that 1,200 euros. And in 10 years, the real estate will be ours. And that's what exactly happened. Like, I did not want to sell Green Plantation. That was not my plan. It was yeah, one day, maybe I'll talk about in a podcast, it was a whole random situation with my business partner. He just burned out and said, I don't want to see coffee in my life again. I'm like, wait, what kind of situation? <laughs> now I have my last payment in February. After that, the reset is mine. And it's right now worth around 300, 350,000 euros, I would say. And I have a great tenant. So it was worth it. It still generates it's going to generate money for me. And yeah, the tenant is now paying my mortgage. So it's sweet or loan. If I would ever start a business again, and it makes similar sense that I can basically pay it off an X time and it's very similar to the rent, I think it makes sense to own your real estate. But yeah, a lot of people have a different idea about it. I have a friend that he doesn't want to buy at all. I've found buildings for hammers. I just don't want, I don't want, I don't want to own it. I just want, I want to lease. I'm like, okay. I think it's weird, but maybe it, maybe he sleeps better at night knowing that, and that's fine. It's also about your end goal. Like, you will retire one day. I know you guys are super young, you don't think about it, but I actually started to think, how is my life going to look like after I'm 50, which is very soon. So I'm like, do I want to really retire at 65 or 67? and travel the world with a broken knee and I already have pains, man. It's, I don't know. So maybe I want to do that a little bit sooner in my life. Having that real estate, now that enables me that. The fact that I sold my company, that enables me that I can actually maybe retire at 55 if I want to. I still have a kid at high school. Once she's gone and she goes to college, in my life, we can decide what we're going to do next. I can continue doing what I'm doing. Why not? But I have the options. So that's why they, I like the concept of the real estate. And I understand that if you're buying something in San Francisco and it's almost impossible. Oh, I don't know. Somebody has to do the math, whether it's worth it. Do you guys own your other real estate too? Yeah, we, we own our second location now, right? And then we also own the building that we roast in as well. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's interesting. Don't listen to other people. Don't listen to us. I think you should do your math. But with what's going to happen once... I'm done with my business, right? We're happy with the purchase. We also, we have a bunch of space too. If you need some storage or anything, they come to Cincinnati, we'll take care of it. We can always rent, rent it out to you. Yeah, sure, man. <laughs> Maybe I should open a lab in Cincinnati and uh, train your competition. I really do like your idea of a co-hosting space because I just talked to a friend of mine. She's also in a coffee industry, Jody Wieser. She's a trainer. And they're thinking to start something in, in Austin, Texas, it co-roasting. And I think that co-roasting is a great idea because there's a lot of people who have passion for roasting and they want to try it out for themselves without big investment. Why not? So I'm happy that there will be co-roasting places popping up. Around yeah. And from another standpoint, you have this expensive piece of machinery that is only making you money one day of the week, like for us right now, because I only roast one day out of the week. So then you have six more days to to fill the schedule out to just continue to get cash flow in there. And then from a logistical standpoint, I feel like all you'd really have to do is just have someone in there babysitting the machine just to make sure that whoever is paying you to use it 
is actually taking care of the machine. They're not beating it up. They're not punching it. They're cleaning it properly. And then just sorting out cleaning schedules. So you're not, yeah, not fighting the machine or boxing it or tackling it, playing soccer. With I, it. I would not rent out my production machine, Colin, simply because if that's down, your business is down, but having other machines there, mm-hmm. why not? And it's, it can be affordable if you cut a good deal with these people, because for them, yeah. it's also showroom. Like mm-hmm. I tell you one thing that people who go to Coro here in uh, Berkeley and they roast on Loring's, they want Loring's because mm-hmm. they grow out of the space at some point. They yeah. either fail and they say, this is not for me, or they stay there for a longer time and they do it as, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people grow out of the space because simply they started to produce a lot. They, they catch on, their brand is doing great. So they are not going to buy Probat or Gisem. Mm-hmm. They roast it, they profiles, everything is done on Loring's and they're going to do, the brands who will realize this, mm-hmm. I think will do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I consider this as a consultation, so I'm sending you an invoice for this. <laughs> Get the invoice in the mail sorted out. <laughs> cool. All right. I have one more question about roasting. It's mostly about your portfolio. So what do you guys offer and how do you decide what you put in your portfolio? Yeah. Coffee-wise, the cafe lineup like that we use every single day is pretty pretty standard. We have our espresso blends, our drip blend, and then decaf. So those are the only three coffees that we currently brew in the shop. Both of the two blends, they're just 50-50 mix right now of just coffee we've sorted out. And then the decaf we we sort out, it's a it's just a, an ethyl acetate decaf from Colombia. And then we have one single origin. <laughs> we have a, We have one single origin that right now we rotate through. But we're still new. We're still fresh to the game. So we're just trying to get our bearings ducks in a row until we can actually have a couple different single origins on the shelf that do continually sell and everything. So just easing into that game because we do sell a good amount of the blends and a good amount of decaf. And then on top of that, we utilize it in the cafe pretty consistently and quite a bit of it. So if we ever don't sell a bag, if it's like a week off roast, I can always just chuck it in the hopper and it still tastes incredible as espresso. So for the Ferrari Bros blend, which is like what we call our espresso blend, it's a washed Guatemalan. And then right now it's a natural Colombian. The Guatemalan, it's like an all women's cooperative in Otanango. And then the natural portion of it right now is a natural Katura from Elkin Guzman of El Mirador in Huila, Colombia. It's incredible. Elkin's a rock star in my eyes. Really cool guy. He's really into biodynamic farming and stuff. He like harvests yeasts off the properties that he has his farms on and uses that to like culture yeasts to then ferment the coffees. So he has really good wash, really good naturals. And then he does have a lot of funky experimental coffees that we really value because in the espresso blend, with it being 50% natural, we want to make sure that fruit really punches through in the cup because we're very like, we like the coffee bright. We love acid. So we'd like it to push through, like poke through the coffee. And his natural Katura just has that perfect amount of funk where it's not overwhelming. Like it, you don't have to let the coffee air out for 20 minutes. Uh, it, it's very fresh, it's fruity. And then the Guatemalan adds that chocolatey, like more dense body that you would typically expect in an espresso. I'm in love with our espresso blends. Dialing it in is a breeze. Coffees are very similar in density that we currently have in the blend. So for training the staff to dial it in, it's really nice. It's very predictable, very, when you make a change, it's like gonna go the way you want it to. It's not gonna throw you for a loop or anything. The drip blend we call wake it up, shake it up. 
because Teresa, who is the mom of Mom and M, Tony and Austin's mother, growing up, she would flicker the lights in their bedroom or yell from the bottom of the stairs. She'd yell, wake it up, shake it up if they were late for school. So even to this day, if she doesn't have a cappuccino in the morning and she's just like running behind, she's in the weeds, she'll be like, man, I got to wake it up, shake it up. So she'll then say, wake it up, shake it up. And she'll be like, man, I need to get some coffee in me. So naturally we figured the best name for the drip blend would be wake it up, shake it up because she says it almost every single day, just being goofy. And then that one is, it's a different Guatemalan community or yeah, Wash Guatemalan community lot. That one's a co-op of I think 20 or 30 farmers. So it's a bit smaller. And then the, the washed Ethiopian side of it, it's a Sadama. I think it's like Bishan Dimu right now. So that, that just adds a little stone fruitiness. It's both washed, so it's not really in your face. It goes well with cream, without cream. And then that Guatemalan also does add a little more body to it. So if you are putting cream in it, it does hold up, holds a lot of flavor to it. You can actually taste the coffee. It doesn't just taste like milk. And then, yeah, if you drink it black, it's got nice complexity. It's medium body. And then, yeah, our decaf I'm in love with. We cupped, I think, 20 or 30 different decafs, and that was the one that consistently was on the top of our blind cuppings. Yeah, it's wild. So, yeah, I I freak out about our decaf because I love it so much. I'll have like my two cups of coffee in the morning, and then I'm like, all right, it's time to go to decaf. You have to send me some because I never had... I usually do Swiss water processed, but with solvents, I never had a good decaf. So I'm really curious. It's really nice. I, I enjoy it. And then I had it as, as espresso for the first time at one of one of our wholesale accounts just like two weeks ago. And it blew my mind. It was, I think it's the best decaf I've ever had, but I'm sure there's better ones out there. But to me, a not typical decaf drinker, I was freaking out about it. I couldn't stop talking about it. And then, yeah. Mm, go ahead. Well, and then our single origin right now, it's, it's also by Elkin Guzman. We're on the tail end of it, but we're going to just have a rotating single origin. The one we have currently is it's a striped red bourbon. It's a natural cold ferment. Um, just really bright. Iris is super light, good acid to it, almost like cherries, pomegranate, and like toasted sugar. It's just, it's crazy. I drink it for drip most mornings before I come into work, and it's just like a little heaven in the cup. Uh, I'll poke into your espresso. Can I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, kudos to you. Uh, it's It sounds very interesting. Yeah. But boy, co- cost of that espresso must be high, really uh, high. The current iteration's a little expensive, but for us, we're really just pushing for bringing a really quality product to people. Stop, because they can be a quality product yeah, without yeah. going like, crazy. And, 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 a, and the reason why I normally, if you're in Europe, I would say, yeah, uh, that's great. But yeah. I don't know how is it in your shop, but I did tell you up how many espressos people order in a cafe and it's always milk-based beverages so basically using this beautiful really beautiful blend that sounds to me great i would have to taste on yeah. it of course but yeah it sounds really beautiful on milk beverages is that correct or do people order espressos yeah we serve quite a few espressos but even in milk-based beverages like lattes just the the natural processed colombian that's in there does you can even taste the fruit in a latte like a 10 ounce latte which is the largest size we serve you can still taste a bit of the fruit punching through. Like it's exceptional. It's crazy. Um, my favorite is in a cappuccino. I know Austin loves his Gibraltars. And in that, just you get like that nice chocolatey like feel. And then the finish, you just have all this like brightness, like just explode on your palate. It's uh, it's wild. 
but the, the cost is a little bit higher. We, we've been working around finding alternatives and that the next iteration will be a little bit cheaper, but still it's like a crazy ferment that's going to be in there 50-50 that we okay. were able to get large quantities of. Well, now I really have to go and visit you guys and taste on it because I'm curious. Uh, cheap flights from San Francisco out here, 200 bucks. Round trip. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just the time is the issue. But yeah, yeah I, I, no, you are on my bucket list. So that says all, yeah, for sure. Austin, you are a seasoned entrepreneur. You started multiple businesses in the food realm. Do you have any tips for people who want to embark on a similar journey? I think first and foremost, make sure that you're passionate about what you do before you consider anything else because so many people get into these projects and these ideas today, especially to, more, more today than ever, and they just do it because of what they saw on Instagram or Facebook or something, and they think it's cool, and they're like, oh my God, I've always dreamed of owning a bakery, and it just makes me laugh because none of these people are actually passionate about it. You know, they don't actually show up ready to enjoy the day for the work that they do. Um, I don't know what brings them passion, but they should ch chase what makes you happy, right? If you want to be a scientist, go do it. If you want to build cars, go do it. But if it's baking bread, I hope you're really happy about it. And don't go home at the end of the day and bitch and scream about how your day was terrible because it's, it shouldn't be like that, right? You have one life and you might as well do something that's going to bring you joy at the end of the day. So that I think that's my first thing for anybody going into that coffee or restaurant, food, wine, or making, harvesting honey, whatever it is, make sure you're really happy and doing it. Second is uh, just being ready to work. I think a lot of people go into this and they always take that uh, nine to five job kind of thing realm to it. They're like, oh, I'm going to build my own business. It's super easy. And they're like, I'm going to go home five, live my life. And I, I think a lot of this takes time to get to that place. Um, and I guess a little bit of what I mentioned before, but a lot of people compare, you know, they're like, oh, I really want, I've had people come to me and to my brother as well. And they say, oh, I really want the life that you guys have. You guys, you guys have cars. You have a Ducati and you have a house. And yeah, but it took forever to get here. It's been a long time. It's been a long road. I didn't just wake up yesterday and just start making coffee. You know what I mean? And not only is it just this too, we do other things on the side that we enjoy as well, right? It's not just this. I think passion and just being ready to, to do it, what you're ready to do. And outside of that too, just being comfortable with numbers and you know how to make money, how to sell, how to, how to recruit, how to market hospitality, how to talk to people. I think if you're an introvert, you're going to a coffee business or a restaurant business, it's going to be really tough, I would say, personally. But other people might think differently. This is my opinion. How to navigate certain situations, how to talk to people, how to manage people. It's really it's tough. None of, the, none of this was easy. I think if it was, I guess everyone would do it. And everyone tries to do it, and a lot of them don't succeed. That's why Eater San Francisco has the Every month they have a closure list. How many places closed this month, right? In San Francisco. Oh, I wonder why. So yeah, just being smart with that, being smart with finances and how to use things a certain way. And I think something that my my brother is super big on is like a waste 
like not trying to waste anything, stop throwing things away. How do you use things once, twice, three times? And instead of just throwing it all away, a lot of stuff gets thrown away. It's just sad. And that could be product, it could be food, it could be coffee, it could time. be materials, time. Yeah, it's like, how do you not waste time? Like That's another one. That's a huge element, right? What should we be focusing on and how can we focus on it? Right? What do we really need? At the end of the day, we need money. We need sales, right? Bring people through the door to buy more cups of coffee. How do we do that? And specifically for this kind of business, like coffee shop, restaurant, all that stuff, it all t- ties into the same realm, right? Yeah, I'm very happy that you elaborated after the passion on other things too, because I have a lot of students who come and they have a lot of passion for roasting like a lot. And they come to the business course because let's say they have a profession they're not happy with and they want to start to roast. And then they ask me, but I really don't like social media. Is that important for starting a coffee business? Or other questions, I really don't like to be salesy. Is that important to start a coffee business? And I'm like, yeah, the passion is not enough, man. If you hate social media, don't even start a business in this day and age. Just not possible. There must be exceptions. You are in an ocean of similar businesses and exceptions are like gems on the bottom of the ocean. It's, it happens rarely. So get ready to put yourself out there, be salesy and salesy being like a smart way being salesy because you cannot go and knock on doors like, hey, buy my vacuum or buy my coffee, right? That doesn't roll anymore, maybe in 50s. And I don't know, Colin, maybe you can watch for this, but that was the course about. And I teach you roast, that's easy. I make you a good roaster. That's a no-brainer for me. Maybe it takes me longer or shorter depending on a student. With Colin, that was easy. It took 30 seconds. No, I'm kidding. But it, you already had some knowledge. You already had some experience. So yeah. But I'll make a good roaster. I'm not sure if I can make you a good coffee entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like when you connected that passion, which will give you drive to the shitty days. So it's, yeah, economically, we're not doing great or I'm not achieving my goals, but hey, I love what I'm doing because that's my passion. But on the other hand, you have to have that entrepreneurship in you. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. And I'm very sad to see that I started this course, the coffee business course, like two and a half years ago. And I have first success stories, but I also have my first, I gave up kind of stories, which pains me. It pains me, but I understand. And I think it's better to do something which fulfills you more than keep poking at something which is maybe mm-hmm. not for you. But that's, a, that's like my whole philosophy on it. Is life is short. 100 years, if you're lucky, you're going you're gonna to live on planet Earth. And you're spending 18 of that in school, assuming you don't go to school after that. And then what do you have? 52, 62 years to, to work and find a passion and find a calling and make yourself successful from there. And if you're spending those years doing something that you loathe and you hate, if you're working at a desk job, making a lot of money, all the money you have isn't going to be fulfilling because you're hating your life every single day. So why not make money, be successful and be in a position where you are happy. So when you do leave work, you are happy. And when you are passionate about it, you will leave work at the end of the day. Oh, today was stressful, but tomorrow's a new day. It's a fresh start. It's going to be even better. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to do what I can to make it better. Mostly... People fall in love with roasting. As Colin said, and I also said in the beginning of the course, it's like you're taking this hard seed of a coffee cherry, which if you think about it, it's just a seed. It's nothing. It's like a little rock. And you, with the magic, you create this beautiful 
beverage. You roast that coffee and create this. It's, it's fascinating. I love roasting. I can see that people who come to those courses are the same and they think that, oh, I discovered the world. I discovered this magic and I want to utilize it for my, this passion I want to make into money. But maybe you can work as a roaster for a company. Maybe you can keep it as a hobby, whatever. Entrepreneurship is extra. And I always say that if you want to start a roasting company, it's 80% to be a great entrepreneur and 20% to be a good roaster. In the very beginning of this podcast, I said, I know very, let's say, not enthusiastic roasters who sell more product than one of the best roasters I've ever had in my course. So yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's how it works. And that, 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 that's why I think that our course is a bit different because I try to make people a wake-up call. I, I always say I have these stories. One was a guy who worked for his father-in-law in, in a development here in the Bay Area. He loves roasting. He came to the course. We did the Wednesday. We have the whole this exercise with how much money you want to make and how much, what it will entail and play with numbers. And the guy was like, oh man, I think I still st- I'm going to stay with my father-in-law <laughs> because the math didn't add up. Where do you see you guys yourself in five years? I know Colin wants to work for Boot Coffee, so yeah, no, I'm kidding. So where do you guys see yourself in five years? I'll be teaching a latte art course there once a month. They're going to fly me out there from Cincy. Will and Will. Yeah, Will and Will. <laughs> do, you, do you want it like individually or just as a business? As a business, yeah. I see us being where we are today, but a little more gross. Being consistent, still offering delicious beverages, hospitality, food. Maybe it feels a little different. Maybe it tastes a little different. But we've continued on to that path of success. That's where we are, got us to, to today. Of course, like we love to see growth. I love to see numbers double. I love to be able to offer more to the staff, higher wages, healthcare, things of that nature. But I, I hope to continue what we created and to still be maybe one of the best in the city. And that's the hardest part is that once you get called something or named something, it's like, how do you stay at that level? And so in five or 10 or 15 years, all I hope for is just to continue that path to success. I really don't, and I'm not hoping to offer a million thousand different drinks or how many syrups we can create in our head. I just hope to make sure that we're consistent and we're still acquiring new customers, new guests, new subscriptions, and we're continuing to keep those as well, the ones that we've already had, for sure. From a roasting perspective, just one of the big things for me for 2024 is just to get all my systems in place, expand, kind of work on the business, find wholesale accounts, and like really connect with them. More so than just, I'm selling you coffee. I want it to be more like, it's my role and my duty to help provide the training and expertise to brew the coffee that I roast, just as important as it is for the farmer to make sure that it's fermenting for 12 hours or it's being shipped and sent out in a timely manner, or just as it's my feedback to send information back to the the person I'm buying it from, the green coffee. So just for me, just continue to try and bridge the gap from the farmer to the consumer and make the whole pathway better and more honest and transparent and just make sure that people are enjoying the coffee. Always asking myself, what can I do better? How can I improve the coffee? And then just 
having growth, just natural growth. We don't want to force ourselves into anything too crazy, but with it being a business, you have to make money and we want to make sure that we're growing to, to fulfill the, the shoes that we're trying to put ourselves in. And then from a cafe perspective, just in the next five years, just continue to hone in the craft and make sure that we're investing in both the community, our staff, ourselves, just to improve the products and improve everything. It's only fair that you guys can ask me a question because uh, I already asked you so many. Do you have a question for me? What does your next five years look like? Whoa, whoa, firing back. I, ah, uh, gosh, okay, I should, I should ask this ahead. Okay, I, I do have a plan. As I said, I'm approaching my 50, and as I said that my daughter is getting slowly out of high school, so in two, three years, I, both my kids will be at college, they started their own lives. I'm thinking that slowly I'll move from boot and start to do my own things. And what I mean by that, I don't want to leave boot as a trainer. I still want to train there, but I also want to train other places on the world and that connect together with my wife for, with travels, basically retire in a way where I will create more courses, maybe write a book, maybe do more content. I don't know, but I, I do enjoy teaching. I do enjoy meeting people like you guys talking about business, talking about life, talking about coffee. So I want to continue doing that. But I want to connect it also with my personal life, I would say. So I can imagine imagine myself going to Paris, do a course there and have fun with my wife and exploring the city and that stuff. I also want to go get good at biking. It's a new hobby for me. I, as you get again older, you have to exercise more. You have to be careful about your body. And I hated exercise all my freaking life. It just, I, this was a, it was a, something I had to force on myself. And now I found biking, which is actually very natural. I like it. I geek out on that. When I started, I thought that it's a very affordable hobby. You just need a bike, but oh my gosh, it sucks my budget, my fun budget very fast, expensive. It's as expensive as you make it. So yeah, it's other thing which I try to get better at and maybe do some uh, bike trips around Europe and stuff like that. So that money is not approximate. That's true, but also on the other hand, as you get towards the retirement age, you want to make sure that you have some savings and you have, and you, you can have a quality life. And it's, I can retire now because our lifestyle is very frugal. We are rice and beans with my wife. We like to cook, so we don't go out that much. And we can even scale back if we need to, really. Mm-hmm. And we enjoy it. It's not something like, oh, we have to suffer because I don't have the newest, I don't know, whatever. Or I don't not didn't go to a Shepani twice a month. So I'm like, oh gosh, what to do? No, we don't, we are not like that. Yeah. And I want to spend more time in Europe. So we have apartment in Budapest still. So maybe spend some time there, same as some France because I study French. So why not? People say the French people are arrogant. I want to find it out for myself, which I don't think so. And maybe Italy, right? Italy has amazing food. So yeah, I have a lot of plans for the next five years. We'll see how, how that pans out. But I still will teach at Boot. I just maybe don't want to be a campus director anymore. We'll see. We'll see how the yeah. how that goes. All right. Thank you so much. Before I let you go, let's tell people where can they find you? What are your social media, websites, where they can buy a coffee and stuff like that? And then we have an Instagram account. It's also at mom and M. 
So it's M-O-M-N-E-N coffee. Go. I'll put it in the show notes so people just can go to the coffees.me website, click on it, and it'll take you to the right place. Do you guys have TikTok? TikTok. I fall into the rabbit hole of TikTok because of my daughter and it's poison, man. It's a poison. I'm so addicted. You can find coffees.me on TikTok too. Uh, it's not very active, but I'll improve on that. All right, guys. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, sharing your wisdom and have a good one. Awesome. Thank you. We appreciate it. Cheers.